and for those of you I haven't seen in quite some time, I apologize. Um, I have been in Minotaur. How many of you know that Minotaur um, is about a thousand people and that they have three functional churches, but for all intents and purposes, they have one church that is considered um, widely open to the community. I think that's maybe the best way to say it. And so um, we, I'm, I'm filling a gap, and I do that a lot. So I'm down there two to three Sundays a month for now. Um, please pray that God sends a pastor, uh, will you? Now, does anybody recognize this Bible? This Bible's breaking my heart. It's been here six to nine months. It's super pretty inside. It's got tabs. Nobody ever signed it. Somebody got a brand new Bible and a brand new cover, and there's nothing much sadder than an unused Bible, is there? So it's been here long enough that we'll probably recircle, recycle it into our Bible flow, and it'll either go out to somebody who doesn't have one um, or get used here at the church. But it seems like a real tragedy to me. I wish I had a picture of Miss Melba's Bible. Melba's not here this morning. We went to visit Melba, and uh, she just happened to have her Bible where it's seen. Um, and she's only had her Bible for eight years. And she's got one of those big old beasts of a Bible that if you swung it wrong, you'd kill somebody. And um, it's the, the, what do they call it, the, the back of it, I think that's what it's called, the spine is this fat. But one inch in, that Bible swells to this fat. And then the pages go to this fat because she's in that thing every day. It's my favorite site, a, a well-worn Bible. Um, I turned the lights down. We're not going to do the slideshow just yet. And I just realized I don't have my glasses, so I can't even read my own sermon notes. And we're going to do a lot of things today. I'm here representing missions. And so we're going to do several things as a part of that. We're going to start with your bulletin. These little slips of paper take a significant portion of my day here on Tuesdays, and they're all the announcements of the church. And I hate it when I come in here and find these all in the sanctuary. Take them home and make me feel better. <laughs> but on the front, there's this week four different pictures, so you don't have the same pictures your neighbor does. And these are pictures of some of the 10 uh, missionaries that our church supports. How that works is you give money into the church, and then the church um, gives money to missions. But we encourage beyond that, beyond your tithe giving, that you also consider supporting a missionary. And my stand's not quite big enough. Over in Minotaur, the, the thing I stand behind is this huge. It's nice. <laughs> so, okay. So, Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your spirit here this morning. Thank you for who you are and your faithful work. Lord, we are faithless, but you are faithful, and we are so grateful for your powerful work. Amen. Overall, in these past months, how have you guys been doing? Oh, I should warn you, I'm a talk-back person. If you don't talk back, I'll stand here and wait for you to talk back. I, I don't do silent congregations. One person, all right. So, so how are you doing? Yeah, good. Bianca is doing well. I, I, talked, I talked to a lot of people, and um, I'm an exhorter. That's one of my spiritual gifts. It comes out sounding a lot like rebuke, 
I, I, on the mercy scale, I have a phenomenally low set of mercy. So don't take this personally. I'm not attacking any one person. But when I ask you how you're doing and you tell me you're busy, do you know my instinct is to slap you? You have no idea what's going on inside me because there's not a single human that's not busy. That statement says nothing. It doesn't tell me how you are. So if I ask you how you are, I'm saying, how is your soul? How are you doing? What I'm hearing is a lot of I'm not doing so well. That's okay. Brett, maybe because of the stress of the railroad, was able to be candid about that this morning. There's some others of you who've had somebody you really love die recently. And, and the, the wash of pain that's over you is, it, you know, and, and death isn't the only death, by the way. Do you know pains that are equal to death? Can you name some of them? Divorce. Same pain as death with the same set of emotions and probably a, lo a longer-lasting impact, believe it or not. Um, what else? Children. I didn't hear the rest being God. Oh, gosh, yes. Children turning away from God. You want to have your heart ripped out and deposited at your feet? Anything else? Betrayal. What? Loneliness. Yes, these things, and, and our church in particular, because those are the ones I know, so that's who I'm going to speak of, are going through a lot right now. It's not, woo, there it goes, my poor Strong's concordance. That was my mom's. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> we just call that an exclamation point. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, it's, it's all right. I'll turn to it. Thank you so much. We're going to try that again. Because when you, when you don't trust something, that's what we do in the church because, you know, you have to. You rely on each other. Even when things go wrong in people's lives, we still rely on each other because we need to. Well, things haven't been that great in my life, um, and some of it's expected. I prayed that my dad would die, and I'm so grateful that he did. Is that a shocking thing to say from the pulpit? I checked it out my theology with all the pastors to make sure that my theology was okay at a recent meeting because I'm like, I don't know if I should admit this out loud, but my dad was stepping into dementia. He was 100% deaf and he was going blind and my sister was in the two days before having to ask for his keys. And I was like, God, my dad doesn't want to be here. He wants to be with you. That's what he wants and I know you don't always grant these kind of requests, but I'm going to tell you that if you're really kind, I'm asking you to take my dad home. Now, in addition to the fact that I miss my dad because he was a godly man, um, he was his own person. Uh, he would show up at the church that he lived in in Oregon before the head worship leader got there at 7 a.m. And I feel no badness about expecting our worship team to get here early because that worship team... They are lining up at the door, and they fight for positions, so they have four rotating worship teams. It must be nice. And um, they, they have to be in their places ready for their first sermon and worship by 7.30. And my dad would get there at 7 because to him that was church. He loved listening to the worship leader go, oh, wait, 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 wait. There's not enough of your heart in this part. And... Uh, the songs and the music and so when I tell you I miss him I'm missing some some really big things but also beyond that I'm mourning because the culture I grew up in is dead do you know what I mean by that the culture where we knew that certain things were were truth 
immovable and not going to change, the world that I live in, it's dangerous to say those things out loud. That doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing it, but I, in certain circumstances, I am. It's, it's been really, really painful. The, the rules of life, as I once knew them, I'm going to encounter conflict or even strong opposition, and it feels like a lot's at stake. If I slip up with my tongue from this pulpit and it goes out on social media, we can lose our church. It's that simple. And so I feel very challenged. I, 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 you know, what, depending on what my convictions are and what I keep my eyes on, I, I shift inside from feeling challenged to feeling like if I don't steward my thoughts and my emotions and keep my, what my heart and mind are fixed on, I go down. How about you? Can anybody here in this room relate to that? Of having to be very deliberately conscious of stewarding your emotions, the thoughts in your head. Does anybody feel challenged? I heard one yes. I see a hand. That's good. We're not all dead. All right. There's some life in the room. Um, because of this, a lot of times I like to share funny jokes, and I don't do meet Facebook anymore. I have made a decision about Facebook, and I will not be returning to it. Um, and so I do MeWe. And so I share funny things because I want people to know they're not alone, and we all like to laugh. And so I'm going to share with you a story that made me laugh. Now, I had to change some of the words in this story um, because they're not pulpit appropriate, and I hope that it's okay to share this story, but I'm going to do it anyway. So this is called, Do You Think You're Having a Bad Day at Work? The next time you have a bad day at work, I want you to think about this guy. Rob is a commercial saturation diver for Global Divers of Louisiana. Uh, think of Shelby. Shelby was a commercial diver. Jim's brother was a commercial diver. So Rob performed underwater repairs on offshore drilling rigs, and I'm going to read you an email that he sent to his sister. And she sent it to the X103.2 on the FM dial in Fort Wayne, Indiana, who was sponsoring a, quote, worst job experience contest, and she won. Hi, Sue. Just another note from your bottom-dwelling brother. Last week, I had a bad day at the office. I know you've been feeling down lately at work, so I thought I would share my dilemma with you to make you realize it's not so bad after all. Before I can tell you what happened to me, I must first bore you with a few technicalities of my job. As you know, my office lies at the bottom of the sea. I wear a suit to the office. It's a wetsuit. This time of year, the water is quite cool. So what we do to keep warm is this. We have a diesel-powered industrial water heater. This $20,000 piece of equipment sucks the water out of the sea, it heats it to a delightful temperature, and then it pumps it down to the diver through a garden hose, which is taped to the air hose. Now, this sounds like a good plan, and I've used it several times with no complaints. What I do when I get to the bottom and start working is take the hose and stuff it down the back of my wetsuit. This floods my whole suit with warm water. It's like working in a jacuzzi. Everything was going well until all of a sudden my behind started itching, so I scratched it. This made things worse. Within a few seconds, it started to burn. 
I pulled the hose out from behind my back, but the damage was done. In an agony, I realized what had happened. The hot water machine had sucked up a jellyfish and pumped it into my suit. When I scratched what I thought was an itch, I ground that jellyfish into my behind. I informed the dive supervisor of my dilemma over the communicator. His instructions were unclear due to the fact that he, along with five other divers, were all laughing hysterically. Needless to say, I aborted the dive. I was instructed to make three agonizing in-water decompression stops totaling 35 minutes before I could reach the surface to begin my chamber dry compression, decompression. When I arrived at the surface, I was wearing nothing but my brass helmet. As I climbed out of the water, the medic, with tears of laughter running down his face, handed me a tube of cream and to told me to put it on in the chamber. The cream made me feel better, but my backside was so swollen, I couldn't use the toilet for two days. So the next time you're having a bad day at work, think about how much worse it would be if you had a jellyfish ground into your backside. Then repeat to yourself, I love my job. I love my job. I love my job. I wanted to share this story because it made me laugh, and laughter, laughter is healing. But when I went to share this story on my MeWe, there was no share button. And so this is where our sermon begins today, because I want to ask you, is your hope shareable? Do you have a share button for your hope? You know, this story that I read isn't about the hope that Jesus brought. It's not about the good news of what he's done. I read it to help you laugh, and so that we could talk about this missing share button. Because our share button is supposed to be present within us. And if we're missing our share button, then something in us is broken. Now, we're going to, Dale, we're going to start the slideshow. So I titled this t sermon, and I do want this not 800 MeWe's on the Facebook or whatever it is, Vivo. I'm talking to the sound guys. When they post it and I look at it, what does it say? It has some, it's the name of the camera usually. We want to put the words mission. Do you have mission? I will show you how. And I want to ask you, do you notice a letter missing? I'm here to talk about missions, but I want to talk to you instead about mission. Mission, singular. Do you have mission? Is it mission possible or mission impossible? Let's go to the next slide. Usually when we talk about missions, we have some picture in our head like this. I took this picture in Kenya. I am one of, uh, much to my surprise, I never wanted to go on safari. I got dragged onto safari. I am not that girl. But I am grateful my daughter-in-love wanted me to go, and I will be able for the rest of my life to say I went on mission. But it's safari. We think of missions as something exotic, wildebeests. Can we go to the next slide? We think of missions as some people in a picture that's not the highest quality, and, and we just pass it as we walk into the church. 
somebody that we don't really know. They come to the church every one year to every three years and talk about things that are far, far away from us, and we don't know if it really has anything to do with us. And, oh, my gosh, wasn't that a waste of a Sunday? But we can't say that out loud because it doesn't sound very Christian. Go to the next one. This is the wall that we pass every week. Go to the next one. But when we talk about missioning, you doing mission and I doing mission, something happens in our heart that resembles this door. It's a door that's been closed a long time. I love this picture. This is from Broadnet, I think. It's a really cool door. The, the gold panels are actually spray-painted gold and shiny. And the door speaks of a hope that once was that is just a little bit tired and not used very often. And I think sometimes in our heart, that's what happens. In the little rural church where I grew up, it wasn't just the adults that were asked if they were sharing about Jesus, but it was the children. Go ahead and go to the next slide. We have a um, steak dinner. It doesn't get much dinner that better in the world of food than a free steak dinner, unless maybe you're at the table of Bianca. Her food is pretty, pretty good. I'm going to speak up for that. <laughs> so, um, but the purpose of that steak dinner that comes through here every fall is to raise money for missions. But somewhere along the line, we can get focused on, I don't have time for a steak dinner, or we can get focused on, I don't have the money for giving, or we can get focused on, yay, I have the money for giving. But none of those are really what it's about. What Tina Freiberger did when she opened up the doors of her house and her church right down the street from the school so that kids could come in and hear about Jesus is mission. And it doesn't have to look like a sidewalk Sunday school. But it does have to look like something inside of us. Um, we're going to go to a video now. Dale, go ahead. And I've asked him to turn it up loud, so hopefully it will be hugely loud. Not that one. see that video without crying because the passion that they're crying out for their friends and their family to know Jesus is so loud we are so horrifically quiet 
Is your hope shareable? Do you still have a share button? As a result, as a child of uh, this pressure to church, the to do, you should, does everybody know the shoulds and the oughts? I, um, not a dumb kid, I was like, well, should be sharing Jesus, okay? Let's go share Jesus. Should and ought. Do you hear how much passion for Jesus is in should and ought? Can you guess how well it went? It didn't go well. I was sharing out of supposed to and have to. I was probably doctrinally correct, but I wasn't sharing out of personal hope. I wasn't sharing out of joy. I was sharing out of conviction. The other kids had convictions too. Can you guess what they were? Some got quiet and then avoided me for 12 years until they got out of school. A few listened with interest, but most were not interested. Many of those encounters were painful. They were painful for me. They were painful for the ones I wanted to share with. And so I did what's logical. I got discouraged. I didn't share much after that. I wanted friends. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be accepted. And I wanted to blend in. That never happened. That's never going to happen. I finally accepted that. So that's the road I took. I didn't let go of my Jesus convictions. I was one of the only people that I know in the school that was living their faith openly, but I wasn't living my hope. I just wasn't letting go of it. I wasn't letting go of what I believed about Jesus, and I wasn't having my opinions altered about what I believed about Jesus. And I learned that at my 10-year reunion that my stance did influence some people. That's good. But my hope, it wasn't very shareable. You know, what happened along the way is I really stopped caring. I got to a point where I knew those kids around me were going to hell. But it wasn't worth a rejection of what they would say to me for me to care enough to share that there was hope, that the hidden places in their family, that there's not every family has to live with that kind of pain. I didn't really care by the time I got to high school. And it wasn't until my first son was born and I started to reestablish friendships with some of my peers who had had children and a good friend in high school became my best friend. And then she moved to Sweden and then she became pregnant and then we had babies at the same time. We'd gone to the same school, the same town, the same church. I believed in God and she did not. And I began to really pray hard for Karen. I prayed hard for me. God, can you help me care? Because I realized that I don't care. I should care. But something's broken inside me, and I don't want the pain anymore. And back in, before Internet, you know, y your communication with your friends was predominantly by letter. So it could be a month in between letters. And I was having to pray over every word as my friend Karen 
rejected the church and the God that she had known because um, Karen was raised by a stepdad, and she um, the, the straw that broke the camel's back is Karen was looking for acceptance, and she finally tracked down her birth father, and she wrote him a letter. She, the letter was, I'm successful, I'm a businesswoman, I have a young daughter, I don't need anything from you, I just want you to know I did okay. Do you know what he wrote back? You remind me of my ex-wife. I'm a deacon in a church now. You remind me of everything that was ever painful, and I don't ever want to hear from you again. We're not responsible for that man's reply, and I wouldn't want to be in his shoes when he stands before the throne of grace because what Karen chose in its place was an alternate religion that deals with a spirit guide, and she started to engage with a very beautiful spirit guide who would take her to different rooms and explain different things to her, and I began writing her and saying, Karen, that beautiful thing that you're engaged with isn't as beautiful as you think it is. What you're doing is really scaring me, and I don't know how to help you, and she said, how dare you? tear down the most beautiful thing that I've ever engaged with. Why am I sharing this with you? Because God broke my heart, and I started to care again. God had to use pain to rebirth my hope button. finding my place in my notes, and it actually says pause, so I'm all right. Can somebody read 1 Peter 3.15? Nice and loud, please. And if somebody else reads it and you have a different version, I'd like to hear your version, too. Yes, please. Good. I'd like to hear it two or three more times because that's what happens inside us when we do hear is that it goes deeper. That word sanctify, we talked about this morning. It was in my sermon notes. I didn't know that they were singing a bunch of songs as holy. Kadosh, did you recognize that one song line, Kadosh, Kadosh? That's Hebrew. means holy. means sanctify. Does anybody know what sanctify means? Because we don't have a lot of it in our society. It's a hard thing to point to. When I was a child, we did. We had a lot more of it. Yes, it means set aside, sacred, only used for some things. My mom had a set of, if you will, this is, would be a correct usage of the word, of company dishes. They were holy. None of us used those dishes. They were for company. We had Sunday-only church clothes. 
But that's not common anymore, so it's harder for us to understand that not everything is meant to be for everybody. In fact, I've been thinking about the stance that this world takes, and I think I finally have an answer, because we're supposed to be set apart for what God wants and not set apart for what the world wants. So when you don't conform to the expectations and the world asks you, why aren't you conforming to the standards and expectations? Well, it's because I'm kadosh. I'm set apart for God's standards and God's purposes. I can't go the way you want me to because it's just not. And that's, that's a comforting thing. The word sanctify is in contrast to common. It means to pull away from fellowship with the world by gaining fellowship with God. The word fellowship is also frustrating because it's an old word. How many of you use the word fellowship in your day-to-day conversation with your, your fellow workmates? We, we have this horrific need for a new vocabulary inside the church. So let me state it this way. Getting real relationship with God by choosing to let go of some of your relationship with the world. You know, as a kid, I think I had that part down. I would preach to the dishwasher. I would. But the hope part that has hope in God and wants to share with others, it got broken. First Peter, hope one, or first Peter, first Peter 3.15 is defined as wanting good and having an expectation of getting it. You know, we have an expectation of getting good. There's a lot of people who want good, but they don't have an expectation. Do you have an expectation of getting good? If you're a believer, you actually do. But if you are not a believer, you do not. You don't have a right to expect good. You hope for good, but you don't mean expectation. You know, that comes in us because we have this rock-solid foundation. We have a God who keeps his word, his son Jesus. And this Jesus in our hearts is the heart of doing mission. We're supposed to spread this hope. Do we care Because it's the care that is the gas and the match that fuels mission. The best mission isn't about turning somebody from the poverty class to the middle class. The best mission is about getting Jesus to people no matter what their class. Eternal hope, relationship with God. I brought this big beast of a book this morning. For those of you who are unfamiliar, this is a concordance. It's uh, specifically the Strong's Concordance, and I like my paper copy, even though I could kill somebody with it. But if you're technologically savvy, you can get this just by on Google. And um, my son showed me that this week, but I can't do what he does, and I did try, but I couldn't get back there. So I like this book. I know where it is on my shelf, and it's much easier to reach than things on technology. <laughs> but what it does is... It lists, let's take a word like hope, and it'll list all the places where in our English that word hope is in the Bible. So I'm not going to pre-rehearse this. I'm just going to skim read three to five words with about 15 verses that have the word hope in them. 
Blank is my strength that I should hope, whose hope shall be cut off. Be secure because there is hope. And where now is my hope? If I have gold, made gold my hope, my flesh will rest in hope. Hope thou in God. The pit cannot hope for thy truth. O oh, the hope of Israel the Savior, the Lord and whose hope the Lord is, the hope of Israel, all that forsake, the Lord, the hope of their fathers. My hope is perished from the Lord. God, day and night, hope to come, who against hope believed in hope, and hope makes not ashamed. Those are just any old excerpt. So what do, you, what do you hear in those as we look at hope in the Bible? I mean, those are just excerpts. Do you hear the connection of, of hope with God? In the Bible, there's not almost a verse that doesn't either say, I can't hope in God because, or my hope is in God. And I, I love that, that I can just choose any of those. And there was, I don't know, probably 200 references to the word hope. Okay. If you don't want to do strongs, then you can access things like this. And here's how to do it. You pull up your search engine, and you type in scripture or the word Bible. And then you type the word, and you hit go. And right now, until it gets shut down, all of these Bible verses will come up, and you can do a study that quickly on any subject. It's wonderful. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can believe everything you read, but anybody who accesses the Internet should know that. All right. Dale, we're going to resume the slideshow. Ah, I see. We went to the next slide. Who do I care about? Ask yourself right now, who in my life doesn't have the hope of Jesus? that I actually care about. List their names in your head. Ask yourself when the last time you prayed hard for them is. And this isn't a guilt trip. This is a to-do list for next week. Would you go to the next one, Dale? I like this picture. We were down at the park with my son the last time he was itinerating. And it was just back from, from Comoros where they, um, the believers there um, are, were scattered, and, and he had been able to help bring some connection. And, and he was so full of wanting. He was working at Open Door Mission as a counselor to the homeless and wanting to see Jesus. And you can see just in his posture and his facial expression the passion and the fire on his face as he's talking. And so I made this meme. Go to the next one. Not every day in our life is what we think it's going to be. Jeremy and his wife went to, um, thank you, I want to say Oshkosh. <laughs> and in Okinawa, how many of you know that, that very shortly after he got there, what happened to, to everybody in the entire planet? COVID-19. And so instead of being able to do ministry to the people he wanted to reach, he ended up inside of a church doing ministry to people who very likely already have heard the gospel. And his level of frustration went through the roof. 
you know, sometimes that happens. Do you ever find yourself in a truck and not doing exactly what you'd like to be doing? So this is the fruits of the year that he spent on lockdown when nobody could come to the church. He learned how to do more technology to reach people inside the homes. They completely redid the floor. You should have seen the pictures. That floor had to be sanded one inch at a time. They did curtains. They have these fold-upable uh, picnic tables that they painted bright colors. And when they opened the doors, they started to get kids back in. You know, uh, this is in on my notes. How much time do I have? No, I'm not going to tell you. Never mind. But I will tell you this. When bad and hard and horrible things come, be looking around for what God is doing right there. What would happen if you thanked God for the ha hard and the horrible in that moment and go, Lord, okay, this is hard, this is horrible. It must have something redemptive in it. Show me. You might begin to see change. So in the front hall, as I mentioned, we have 10 missionaries that we support. The church partners with individuals who give money so that 10 sets of people can focus on who they do care about, getting the expected hope of Jesus. And that's what some of your pictures are, is some of those people. And I'm not going to name any of their names for the sake of those whose names cannot be named as we put them out on the Internet, nor the country where they live. But we're going to do something today very quickly. You know, is the hope of Jesus easily discoverable here in the United States? Let me rephrase the question. How many churches are there on the average city block? Thank you. But is that true in Japan? Is it true in Spain? Is it true in the Asia-Pacific regions? Is it true in China? You know, I just looked at a set of pictures. They are um, portraits drawn by survivors of torture in China, and I can't unsee those pictures. But I've been praying for my Chinese brothers and sisters in Christ ever since as they undergo daily torture to renounce their faith. Um, what about Muslim nations? You know, the people who we walk by every day, they're giving up everything comfortable to go reach the people I'm talking about. They're giving up connection to their families. They're giving up comfort. You know, in the Asia-Pacific region, they go in there under something called live dead, which means that when it's 120 and 85% humidity, they're living as the locals do, without the air conditioning and without the refrigeration, so that they can reach some for Christ. They're living with the mosquitoes, the boils, the malaria. My grandchildren have scars from the boils. It's not just Jim and I who cry because we miss our missions family, but my missions family cries because they miss us. All of these people give these things up. And they do it willingly because they want to give hope. Their fires, their internal fires of hope, they're not extinguished. But many of our personal fires are very, very low. The cares of this world, our jobs, our families, our comfort, our retirement, our money, the state of our kids' lives, whether they chase Jesus or not, have, have helped put out some of our passion. 
In some cases, the absence of sanctifying God as a, somebody relationally significant in our own lives and as being more important than our best relaxation is causing us to move by people without care. Sorry, Deneen, you happen to be by the door. I'm not looking at you <laughs> specifically. Many of us are afraid to restore our hope button. I want to offer you a gift. Um, I ordered these with the church monies. They're an incredible steal. And Jim's going to walk around, and if you want one, please take one. This is a 21-day journey of prayer for Africa. There's personal stories in here. And I believe if you do this through this summer for 21 days, um, I believe that it's going to help restore some hope, some of your care beyond the town of Alliance. And I'm not saying you don't care, by the way. There's no condemnation here. But I am saying that I think in all of us, we need to raise our water level. We do. We need to come higher. We need to pray more, bend deeper, learn more. And so we're going to flip now um, in our conversation because I would like you to have the same thing. I would like you to have the same passion that these missionaries have. See, we're going to pray for the missionaries today. But they're actually not the poverty-stricken ones. They're so fueled by the flames of passion that they're doing okay. It's us here locally that are not doing so good. Look around. Ask yourself, who's not here? I can give you a list. I'm not preaching to them. But I'm telling you that we all had better care and be in prayer because our hearts are being wounded and destroyed we are drying out and blowing away. Some of us have been taken out by horrifying things. Some of us are not seeing us together and united as a source of hope. Like Francisco said earlier, I was going to church and I was feeling worse when I left than when I came in. That's a, a loss of connection that I don't want happening. So although we're going to pray, for the missionaries, because that's what today is, my challenge to you is to get before the Lord and go, God, am I fully burning? Am I on fire? What is my mission? What is my passion? Where did my heart get hard? Because I'm just, I'm tired, God. I'm just tired. I just want to go home and close the doors. God, can we just watch Netflix tonight? Amazon Prime's better. Okay. Okay. So I asked you each to adopt at least one of these missionaries. And if you did, I'm going to name some of these and not others. And if you recognize it as one you've been praying for, would you raise your hand? So the Storer family. Okay, Dale, I want you to come over here. This table is going to be praying for the Storer family. This is all the news you need. You have only got five minutes to do this. Okay, uh, Japan. Nobody's praying for Japan. Wow. Okay, Bianca and Peggy, I'm going to ask you to come over here together. And there are two sets of missionaries in Japan. Japan is critical. Uh, Nathan and Yuka Willem Williams run a training college. 
Can you guess where missionaries from Japan might be going? Let's not say that out loud, but let's just think about geographically what's right next to Japan. They also do 800 million other things that you might not know about, and those clipboards name what they're doing. Okay, who's praying for our reservation folks? Terry, I want you and Deneen. Jim, would you pass this to them or they can come get it or something like that? All right. Spain. Who's praying for Spain? Jim, you and Chris Aarons get together. He's coming here. This is Jim's uh, really good friend. It was in his wedding. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, Asia Pacific. I named a region earlier that we cannot have on the internet. Rosie? Thank you. Who's praying for the Prabudas in France? Wow, you guys. Not good. I know we're not all here today. Okay, there's another couple whose name I can't name. He's been here twice. Uh, let's see, he's in Asia. And I can't say more than that. So, Lynn, the Folkerts, come pull this. And I have two more. Three more. Now, don't feel condemned if you haven't gotten a clipboard. Who's praying for Chi Alpha, Shadron? Oh. <laughs> All right, you guys have a lot of auditory praying to do, two different regions. Okay, finally, we have... Prabudas in France. All right. Who does not have somebody you've adopted as a missionary? All right. You, I'm going to ask to be a passionate prayer for this couple. Their goal is to build 700 churches in France, and they're on their way. And we will probably see them if their schedule works like I think it will. They'll be itinerating this next year because the week we took over the church, we got a call from Manuel Probudis. Hi, we're here. Can we come to a missions presentation at your church? And so they came on a Wednesday. We invited the whole church, and guess who came? A man who has a passion to build 700 churches came all the way from France to us. But we were busy. I know we honestly do work. I know we honestly are busy. But it was still really painful. The least we can do is pray. All right, I haven't mentioned one, and that's the Zitterkoffs. Everybody look up. He helped build this place. That's what they do. They go around helping restore and build churches. They work with RVers. They're godly. They help steer people back into things of deep faith. Every time that we are at conference, we try to get lunch with the Zitterkoffs because he's like rubbing up against hope. You ever have somebody you just kind of want to hang out with? Now, if you don't have a clipboard, I'm going to ask you to get up and move. Now, there's some people in the room that won't do that. Um, so, Jeff, I'm going to hand you a clipboard, and I'm going to ask you to move. And if you don't have a clipboard, 
I want you to go to a clipboard, and I want you to spend the next five minutes praying for the people in your lap. You've got all the information about them you need. On your mark, get set, go.